Hello, hello again. I'm Clémence de Crécy, CEO and founder of luxury PR agency Clementine Communication. Welcome to Connection Privé Podcasts, where we go beyond networking and discuss the power of human connection with our guests. Today, I'm speaking to the beautiful Rebecca Seal. Um, Rebecca has been a dear friend of the agency for many years. She's a TV presenter. She is a journalist. I think we can sum up that she's a very amazing writer, all in all. I'm speaking to her today about the launch of her new book, Solo, which has happened just a few weeks ago. I managed to put my hands on a copy, which I received a couple of days ago, thanks to Amazon. And I am delighted because she's really going to talk to us today about this book and what it means to be working solo. We've all been put into this situation over COVID, over the confinements and the last past couple of months, and it's really hard to adapt. Today, Rebecca is going to give us some tips on breaking the routine, respecting rules. And I think the key message that I'm getting out of her today is be kind with yourself. Try to know who you are, but first of all, and nowadays, be kind with yourself. Let's have a little listen. And please, if you have any question at the end of the interview, drop us an email, drop us some notes. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for joining me today. It's actually so nice to see you as well. It's very exciting to see people. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here. And it's very nice to see you as well. It's been, what, at least half a year. Oh, since. don't. Time is just going so fast. I've gained a few more gray hair in the middle of all that. But um, no, thank you so much for, for taking part. Um, First question that I ask most of my guests on the, on the podcast, that very much if you are meeting someone for the first time and they ask, what do you do? Uh, what do you answer these days? Um, I usually say I'm a writer. I think because I write about so many different things now, I that's the easiest way of describing what I do. I, I did used to say I'm a food and drink writer, but now I feel as though it's kind of a bit broader than that. It's odd. I feel like my career's done a strange arc where I started off wanting desperately to be a journalist and then somehow ended up having a specialism in food and drink, which has lasted for about 15 years now, which is amazing. But now it's sort of broadening out again, um, more in the way that it was right at the beginning of my career. So, yeah, so I usually just say I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah, that, that's nice. So I guess qualas of hats under this sort of writer uh, title because you, as you said, you're a journalist, you write for um, lots of publication, uh, but I hear and I am very delighted because I have read your book, which arrived a couple of days ago from Amazon. So congratulations. Your new book is out uh, called Solo. And today I'd love to explore uh, more about the book. Uh, so congratulations to start with on, on the launch. Thank you. Thanks very much. Is this your first book, Rebecca? It's my first book of that sort. Yeah, so it's my ninth book, um, but all the other ones have been cookbooks. Um, but it's the first long one. And it was quite a funny thing when they arrived, the first couple of copies arrived in the post. I, I opened it up and it was the first time really that I'd seen how many words <laughs> there were in it. Because it's, it's nearly 90,000 words. And a cookbook is maybe 25 or 30,000 words, maybe 40,000 words if it's really wordy. Um, so 
something which is twice as dense as my usual work um, that was definitely quite a big moment it felt a very different thing yeah it's, well congratulations again it's, it's it's rather exciting and um, obviously the the podcast is all about the, the power of networking and the, for me the most important thing that i build in my career is is the power of the human connection and your book is called solo so i'm so thrilled to welcome you on the podcast <sighs> where do we start working solo It's something that I never thought I would do. I'm, I'm a team player. I work with, I have a few staff and running the PR agency and I've, I've never actually worked alone. Um, I mean, is it something that we all have to adapt and, and your book is just perfectly timed for launching, I guess? <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, the funny thing about the book is that it wasn't timed. I started thinking about it six years ago, and then I started writing it in 2019. So oh, right. it's really weird and baffling to me that, um, you know, I finished writing it in lockdown. So obviously lockdown did affect how um, how I finished writing it. But it wasn't this brave new world that we're in now. Um, it, it was... That I had affected at all. I mean, nobody had. So, so that's weird. Um, but I think we do. Yeah, I think we do have to get used to solo working and all of the implications that that has. Because I think that even if a magic wand were waved over all of us today and the pandemic was gone, I think that so many organisations have realised that there are benefits both for workers and from a, an, a financial point of view to having people work from home much more than they ever have before um so i just can't see us going back to offices in the way that we were mm. previously no i mean um we we're back as, as a pr company and i guess we it's we understand 10 staff but we had a common agreement or we had a chat with the entire staff i guess back in july and said you know Uh, do you want to work from home? And they've all been home, as you said, in a lockdown for three months. And most of them found it really extremely difficult. Uh, the more junior you are in any industries, you know, you need the training, you need the manager behind yourself um, for, for progressing, I guess, in your career. Um, and, and they found it really hard. And the minute I said, well, actually, let's play it safe. We'll keep, we'll apply to the rule, but, um, but let's go back to the office. And everybody jumped at the idea and we're all back pretty much three to four days a week now. Um, yeah. but, if, but the rest of the time we're home. We're yeah. home and it is a struggle for many of us. So I'd love for us to spend the next 10 minutes to go and explore the book because uh, I'm struggling to work from home. Um, I miss the, the human connection. When I see people like you today, I'm genuinely so overexcited. Um, <laughs> No, it's true, and I think I'm not the only one in in that in that on on this on this boat. So, where do we start? I mean, the routine. I'm finding it very difficult working with children running around. I find it very difficult. Um, so, where do you start when you when you teach people on how to work solo? What's the starting point? Um, so, I mean, it's a huge topic, um, <laughs> but yeah, let's let's smash it in ten minutes. Um, I think boundary setting and routines are two of the most crit critical aspects of it. But but I think in a way it's also about um, it's also about I don't know mindset is a very overused word, but it's a bit about mindset in as much as we have to and we have to learn. And this is something that I'm still in the process of learning. 11 years of solo work on um, to to make the thing that you're doing 
how do I put this? You need to focus on the thing that you're meant to be doing in any given moment and do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're meant to be working, then work. If you're meant to be parenting, then parent. If you're meant to be having lunch, have lunch. If you're meant to be relaxing in front of Netflix, do that. Don't don't allow work to seep into all of these other areas of your life because the boundary gets blurred and then it becomes yeah. very difficult both to keep work in its work bit of time and everything else without it being affected by work. So um, I think that understanding how damaging it is for work to bleed into the rest of our lives paradoxically helps us to get work done during our working hours. Um, I mean, the issue with children, I don't know if you can hear my daughter. A little <laughs> bit. In another room. Um, not on her own. Not alone. Um, uh, <laughs> she's being looked after. But, um, but you know, that's, that's a massive issue. And, I mean, one of the things that I think will probably happen is that um, people will start renting small office spaces for themselves or maybe two people or three people kind of super safe little spaces um, where they can be in a kind of child-free environment because I really I mean I really struggle with that like even on a day like today where my daughter's being looked after by somebody else um, she's three she's got no boundaries at all (laughs) Um, so uh, and there's a background um, there's part of your brain, isn't yeah. there, which is slightly sort of dedicated as a, a to listening to what's happening and is everything okay? And it's impossible not to have that if your child is sort of in the earshot. Um, it doesn't matter who's looking after them or how much you trust that person or anything. So, so that's that's really challenging. And I'm not sure that there's much you can do apart from wearing noise cancelling headphones, which I do do on occasion. Um, I'm not sure there's much more that we can do about that. But then, to, but so to go back to the boundary settings and the routine stuff, um, I mean, one of the things that we've lost, and you might have got to this part in the book, it allowed to move from um, our like home mode into a work mode. So where we where we had the commute to help us to slowly transition because basically we're like giant toddlers right we're not very good at transitioning from one thing to another and humans suffer from something called present bias which is where the the thing of the present moment tends to be the most dominant thing in our brains so it's very hard for us to stop doing one thing and start doing another um you know i'm quite often late to pick up kids because I just want to get this thing finished and, you know, oh, it's so important. And it's actually not more important than not being late for my children. Uh But because it's the present moment thing, it's very difficult to override that part of my brain. And I mean, one of the nice things about knowing all of this stuff now is that I'm much, much more kind to myself. So although my behaviour hasn't changed necessarily radically, I'm still late. I don't hate myself so much for being late because I understand that it's just part of our kind of neurological setup. Anyway, so transitional rituals. Oh, fascinating. Really I'm, I'm, at least I'm taking notes, as you can tell. I'm, I'm not stopping. This is fascinating. So please carry on. <laughs> so transitional rituals, um, yeah, would have been the commute. It would have been leaving your house, shutting the door on your home life, like physically, but mentally as well, leaving it behind, um, you know, wearing clothes which, which tell you you're at work, 
um, catching transport, which takes you to your place of work, entering that building, having communications with the people that you um, that you work with. You know, all of these are sort of really unsubtle markers for our brains to say, right, this is this is what I'm here to do. Um, and we've lost all that. Anyone who works from home has lost that. And so it's almost about establishing alternative rituals for that kind of thing. So some some people, um, I mean, for me, it's about, um, <clears throat> granted, I'm wearing running gear right now, but as a general rule, <laughs> wearing running gear, incidentally, is the only way I can trick myself into going for a run. If I put my running gear on at the first part of the day, I will go for a run at some point because there's nothing worse than stupidly reaching the end of the day. I, with relate, your running gear I relate to that very much, though, so don't <laughs> worry, I'm converted to, to it. <laughs> But as a general rule, I get up, I put makeup on, I wear clothes that are for work. They are not for laundry, they are not for childcare, they are for work. That's a good principle. <laughs> um, it's not to I'm like wearing a suit at home, but, you know, I am, I'm, I'm nicely dressed, I'm smartly attired because, you know, I need that. And um, I have two cups of coffee, decaf at the moment, unfortunately, heartbreaking, but there we go. Um, I, yeah, so two cups of coffee. And after the second cup of coffee, that, that is the time when, right, I go upstairs, I sit down at my desk, I start working. Though I have these transitional rituals. It's not as powerful as catching a bus to an office, um, but it is a really helpful way of shifting your brain. Other people have, um, you know, a particular radio show that they listen to, and when that finishes, that's the moment um for other people it's like catching up with a you know a podcast from the day before or whatever but they you know they've created these things and when that when that moment ends it's time to start work or you know whatever you're doing um and some some people have found it really useful some organizations i've interviewed have found it really useful to have like a, a 9 30 call with the whole um team because it means that everybody is kind of connected yeah. and you all get to start I mean yeah. the only difficulty I think with that is that the one value of working from home is that you should be able to work relatively flexibly so sometimes that 9.30 is going to be difficult but I think the majority of people thrive on having kind of a start point some people feel I mean, it's a difficult one because some people feel like they're being spied on <laughs> um like you know their boss wants to check they're not still in their pajamas and um so well, I think it has to be managed quite carefully it, it's funny you say that because I've noticed over the past few months you know the camera tends to switch off now so we do the, we do the call and I'm lucky I've got an amazing team working alongside myself at, at Clementine but um yeah sometimes the cameras are off you know whereas at the beginning in March no one would there now so, you know there's some mornings where and I'm not saying anything it happens you know it's as you said the offer the beer home is also offering a certain flexibility so we're all becoming a bit more indulgent I guess as time goes by yeah. and I think we should be like if we have to if we have to um endure 2020 and whatever 2021 brings us exactly. um you know if you need to do that in your pajamas then fine I personally think that wearing your pajamas all the time is a kind of a straight road to um a lack of well-being but if it genuinely really makes you happy if it really really does then then knock knock yourself out that's that's cool but uh, there's a certain sort of um you know there's an associative negativity isn't there to yes. being in your pajamas when you shouldn't be in your pajamas and for a day or two it feels amazing and then later it becomes 
um, something where you just feel like you're on long-term sick leave. I've never been able to work in my pyjamas for that exact reason. But then I was, when I was a teenager, I was very ill for quite a long period of time. So I did wear pyjamas for six months and I do associate it with a very horrible time. So maybe that, <laughs> maybe that's just me. I don't so know. that's why you want to get um, dressed in the morning now, just to forget yeah. about that. Yeah. No, and, I, and I'm like you, I tend to get dressed and off we go and it's set up the day. Uh, whereas otherwise, you know, you can, it's, it's that blend, which is very hard. And I think you nailed it on your book. It's, it's so very hard to, to stop. And I find myself at my desk here still working at 10 p.m. Or, and the kids asking me to go for, for dinner. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's how did that the time go by? Um, the lack of commute, I think everybody loves it. But actually, no more boundaries anymore. Yeah, well, it served a really, it served a really useful purpose. And I think that end of day thing is, is critical. It's almost more important because, you know, once you've got going, you do have to stop and, um, you know, there's some data to show that um, remote workers are now working up to two extra hours a day. And that is, as a general rule, unpaid work. That's effectively unpaid overtime that people are doing. And that's one thing if it's your own business. But if you're, if you're mm -hmm. working for a big organization who are not paying you anything extra, who are, who are expecting you to use the time that you've saved by not commuting mm. for them... And, you know, in some cases, are also expecting you to be available on email in the evenings or over the weekends or a WhatsApping you, you know, it, it's, it breaks employment law in terms of the number of hours that we're expected to work. And, you know, I, m many people don't know this, but there's a mandatory 11 hour break between shifts for UK staff in, in UK employment law. Um, now, that doesn't always happen. There will be doctors and nurses and things like that, people like that who who um, don't have that option. But I would I would posit that most UK adults, particularly those with desk based jobs, are not giving themselves 11 hours without looking at their emails. Um, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would put my hands up to that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is enshrined in employment law and UK employment law is not that generous but that's the bare minimum <laughs> that we should be allowing ourselves i know but i guess at the moment it's so tricky people feel perhaps blessed to have a job you know the the months to come are not very glorious having you talk about the food industry that you know so well which is clearly suffering really bad um so i think i think i could I, I relate so much to what you're saying at the same time i feel like people are, are giving the extra time and work because they just cherish what they have and, and they want to go the extra mile so the the current situation is a little bit tricky to judge isn't it it is tricky to judge but i think i mean it depends and i'm certainly not talking about companies like yours which are small and nurturing but when i've sourced anonymous interviewees for a number of features that i've worked on recently yeah um, it's been really clear that people are working out of fear. They are working They are working extremely long hours. People talk to me about competing to appear the most productive in their team because they knew that redundancies were coming. Um, the people who work in, you know, exhibitions and events, for example. Yes. Um, other people who were remotely leading teams who felt that their teams needed them to be visible in the evenings um, because some of them were working split shift type days because of childcare and so on. And I mean, that's fine for a few weeks, but we are six months in. Yeah, and yeah. as you say, we've got months more of this to come. Yeah. The human brain cannot cope with this. Like, 
regardless of whether there's a risk of job loss, there is also, uh, which is huge and real and terrifying, uh, don't get me wrong, um, but we also have, I would say, we're looking at, and I, and I use this word advisedly and not lightly, an epidemic of burnout and mental health problems oh, yes. in the next few months. Like, not not solely related to um, simply stuff to do with the pandemic, like anxiety, but just to do with the hours that people are working. You cannot work 10, 11, 12 hour days for six months with no capacity to take a holiday, with limited social contact with the people that you love, and not have that have really huge implications. And I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be horribly depressing, but I just think, you know, we, we, we as solo workers, as work from homers, have to take a certain amount of responsibility for safeguarding our own well-being because if your boss if your boss isn't there to see that you're at your desk at 8 a.m and you're still at your desk at 8 p.m you know if you were in an office and that was happening someone from HR would come and tap you on the shoulder and be like why are you always here like is there something going on at home or is your have you got too many tasks or like what why why are you always here but because we're now solitary and nobody can see us doing that um it's very it's very difficult for anyone to manage us um, so we have to do that for ourselves. And if you're self-employed or you're freelance, you're already quite used to that. Um, yeah, but we don't, I don't know. I mean, to, to an extent, we're used to it. We don't, I don't think it comes naturally to anybody, but you have to view yourself when you work for yourself and nobody else is watching you mm. or by yourself. You have to view yourself as the CEO and yes. the HR manager and the finance director and, you know, the office cleaner and all of that stuff. <laughs> you have to, you have to, <laughs> you have to accept that you, um, you fulfill multiple roles within your little miniature organization of one person and you know that that person those roles have to include somebody in HR saying you're working too hard you haven't taken any holiday this year um you know the, the finance director person might, might be saying we need more yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blah 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 but the HR person has to be louder and say yeah, you need some sleep, otherwise you're not going to But you know, Rebecca, it's, it's awesome because you explain it very well in now, but also in your book. And it's, it's clearly something that we need to learn from people like yourself because I'm an employer as well and it's completely new. The situation is completely new. As I mentioned, and we, we know each other for many years now, but um, I've never worked solo. I'm a team player. I, I love working part of a team. Um, I love managing people. I, I love creating ideas. I love the human connection. Um, I, I, I cherish, you know, to have people in front of me where we can exchange and, and sort of brainstorm ideas. So I am also finding it really difficult. And this is why I'm, I'm blessed that everybody agreed to go back to the office recently, um, on various shifts and so on. But I am, I am very grateful. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to be able to teach all the best practice onto youngsters now joining the industry or joining the team. I've just hired someone recently. We're at the office, but if there's another complete, you know, lockdown in the coming days, um, how do you, as an employer, you know, start briefing? How do you keep the communicating on the value of your business as you're not seeing people face to face? This needs to be taught by people like you who've got the experience. So, you know, all of your saying, I'm definitely taking notes. It's, it's actually super <laughs> useful. So thank you. <laughs> okay, one of the other tools that um, a few people I've interviewed recently about this, um, you know, remote work experts who I've interviewed have suggested is things like... Um, having uh, like office hours so yes. a couple of times a week having like an open zoom call with no agenda um 
That's where cool. people can ask questions. Um, and um, it, because one of the things, when I mean, you mentioned this earlier, like young people are really struggling in this um, setup because often they don't have the space in which to work, but also they're, they're losing out completely on the incidental learning. I mean, I spent six years working for one of the best editors in the country and I, you know, I learned most of what I now know and put into practice um, by listening to her on the phone, you know, and I, it would, I, I wouldn't have been able to go freelance 11 years ago if I hadn't had that six years of grounding. Um, so, yeah, I, anything that we can do to try and um, recreate that stuff. So, so yeah, it's like virtual water cooler moments. Um, there's even something called body doubling. I don't know if you've... Um... <laughs> I'm interested in that. <laughs> something I've been dreaming about for a long time. So please... <laughs> Um, it was actually, I hope I'm giving it the right name, I think I'm, it was developed um, initially for people with ADHD um, and various other of the um, autism spectrum disorders, mm -hmm. and um, it it basically turns out that it's easier to sort of attend to something if you're in certain contexts and for certain people, it can be easier to kind of be productive if you've got another presence with you, so um Obviously, that's rather difficult to achieve at the moment, but the science was taken, um, and now there are a number of websites where you can um, log up, log in, and have a, a virtual um, productivity partner, effectively, and you don't say anything or do anything. They're just open, like, in a corner of your screen, and they're working, and you're working, and there's no chat, but you can also do it within people. So in the same way that you might be sitting silently next to your co-workers in your office, you could have, it's usually for specific sorts of time and with particular tasks. So so say you've got a report to write, so you have a, an hour-long session with somebody else who's got a similar um, activity to complete. And yeah, so you, you, you just silently work. And for, and for some reason, um, just the mere presence of somebody else really encourages focus. Um, so that would be a potential option. You could connect slightly more with your teams um, by just having them silently connect either to each other or to you or whatever. It, I know it sounds completely mad. Your face is <laughs> You're probably seeing my face now being like, actually, I thought, I thought you'd, you'd come up with like a way to duplicate yourself. And I don't I'm know. Sorry. I don't know. I was logging to something really. I'm a bit less excited with this one. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry. It's, no, yeah, no, 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 it's, it's a good one. And Rebecca, how do you feel about the the, the, the human connection? I know this is important to, to you as well. And um, how do you feel at the moment that obviously even as a solo worker, normally you then you go out and you have, you create these moments where you can face to face and see people just to keep um, the interaction going. Um, what's your advice at the moment on this human connection? What do we have to do? Do you think that is so important to keep this going and, and this networking? Because I guess in professional life, we've got to carry on meeting and nurturing this contact all the time. Do you think it's enough when you work from home? I mean, I think two things about that. One, I think that unless we are really strictly told that we mustn't, which I don't think will happen, I think that we we have to leave our houses, get outside into the daylight, which has got so many important functions, like hormonally and sleep regulation and stuff. 
um, you know, we need 120 minutes a week of um, time in nature, not just time outside, but actually in nature, so in a park mm. or by a river or whatever. Um, big study came out of Exeter University on that last year, really interesting. Um, mm. After 120 minutes, the, um, the benefits level off, but there's a very clear... Um, Axis where it shows that the, oh, the benefits are very obvious. I didn't know so, that, so thank yes, you. Yeah. Do that. There we go. In the depths of winter, make sure you get 120 minutes outside. But the other benefit of going outside is that unless you live somewhere incredibly remote, the chances are you will see other human beings. And it's been shown, it's extraordinary, but it's been shown that simply making eye contact with other people, you don't have to talk to them, is is has huge mental health benefits. So when we shut ourselves off inside and we don't see other people, and it's a downside of digital actually as well because um, you know now you can buy your post your postage online. Um, you don't have to go to the post office. You know you can we can do we you know we do our accounts online. Whatever. There's so many kind of um, app based ways in which we limit our physical contact with other people, um, which is useful and helpful during a pandemic, but actually from a mental health point of view, not great. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say um, is that I've been really fascinated to discover how many connections I've been able to make like this one. I mean, granted, I've got a book out, so, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a sort of an impetus to like do lots of conversations and stuff. But I, I didn't, I kind of didn't realise how many... Um, how many interesting communities there were um, on Instagram, for example, um, and how many of them were hosting things where, uh, you know, you can talk to multiple people or you can have a webinar or, you know, a coaching session or whatever. So I think we need to get a bit better at accessing that stuff or I need to get better at accessing that stuff. I can't judge everyone else. Um, and, and kind of making use of it because I think there are a lot of people out there who want to offer support and help to people, um, particularly professional, but there's obviously a hugely blurred line between the professional and the personal um, and more and more so now. So um, so I think there's that. And then I think the other thing is actually paradoxically to do less Zooming <laughs> and more talking because okay. um, the there's the beginning of interesting data out there about the kind of difficulties that our brains have processing um, video calls, particularly with multiple um, heads on the screen. So we find it quite exhausting. And I'm sure you've finished a day after lots of um, video calls where you're like, ah, oh, completely drained. Yeah. And it's because they're actually, um, they don't, they don't quite work for our brains, right? They're slightly slow. Um, you're not actually looking at somebody's eyes but your brain thinks that you are um you're you know you can't see like I, i'm waving my arms around a lot but you know you can't see someone's um body language so clearly like if you were in a meeting you'd see if they were kind of hunched or like if they were very expansive and confident you'd, you'd have a clearer understanding of who they were you'd have a better sense of the hierarchy of the group because somebody would have been the person who had to offer tea and yes. you know move the chairs around exactly. and whatever like there's loads of subtle markers that uh, you know zoom is brilliant but it takes away a lot of the um the critical non-linguistic information that we would get in a conversation and then we spend the whole call trying to play catch up right we're like subconsciously trying to understand all the things that are missing 
and talk and make sense and not talk over somebody else so that the connection goes all weird and you can see your own really knackered face <laughs> and you realise that actually you're doing a lot more gurning than you realise and oh my god there's so much mess behind me and blah 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 you know I know everyone's figured out their backgrounds now apart from me I've got so much mess but you know like it, it's it's a real it's a real whirlwind of yeah, information yeah. Um, and it's far more than you would normally get if you were just in an office standing face to face having a quick chat and then going your separate ways um, and so I think we need to get back to the phone call yeah. <laughs> particularly, particularly when it comes to like catching up with friends and people that you care about maybe more than work um, there seems to be to me there seems to be a bit of a default that we'll go we'll have a video call but actually often you get a more real and intimate call that your brain can cope much better with when it's on the phone so there's a lot of really interesting stuff about that I, out I love all these facts and study, but I have to say, it's funny because m most of my friends are now calling me on Zoom all the time. And uh, I'm normally, I'm a multitasker. So that means when I normally have a friend, she's, or him is on speaker on the, on the table and I carry on cooking or I carry yeah. on doing something, what I'm doing. Um, and now I can't do that. They just put their video on. So I've got to stop and literally listen to them for, <laughs> it's very sad, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But no, things have I changed. Did. I do a lot of phone calls with a with a, an earpiece in, yeah. and you know when I'm driving the car, I've got exactly. it on speaker, or, you know whatever. Because I, I do, I'm like you. I've got you know small children to pick up. I do a lot of zooming around, and you know, or I'm walking to the supermarket to buy ingredients for recipes that I'm doing working on, or, or whatever. Like exactly. you know, it's so yeah. I, I, but that's not the only reason why I find video calls annoying. But but yeah, I really honestly, I really do think that um, it's like a well being hack to limit the amount of video calls that you do. No, well, that's a very good advice. <laughs> no, no, yeah, exactly. As, as I try, you know, we had a few few attempts today, but we finally made it. Um, right. Tell me, Rebecca, there's something which is also very dear to me, and I realized that um, I haven't asked you yet. Um, do you have a good story? And I ask that to all the people I'm interviewing on the podcast. So do you have a good story of a chance encounter? Uh, obviously, when you're a solo worker, that means sometimes, so mainly at the moment, you work from home, so perhaps you have less of a chance to meet that person. Will will change your path or will introduce you to another person that will create an, you know, an opportunity for you. Um, but this is really a lot why people come to the show to talk about. Does that resonate to you? Is there a story or a couple of stories for you to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I've got several in my head, actually. I mean, the first one is sort of slightly less of a chance encounter, but a kind of a random encounter, which was um, with Steve, my husband, who you know, um, because we, so we've known each other since we were babies, oh. our parents were friends from way, way before we were born, and still are, and um, uh, yeah, so we spent much of our childhood together, until we were about sort of 13 or 14, and then we, you know, as you do, you don't hang out with your parents' friends anymore, and we, we drifted off, and then um, when I was about 26, I got this email saying, um, you know, could we meet up for a coffee? Um, I'm like trying to become a photographer and I know you work on a magazine and I just wondered if I could get a bit of advice. And I was kind of like, oh, fine, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, okay. And I was actually really hungover um, on the day that we met and um, I was just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, oh. um, you know, not in a horrible way. But yeah, like, yeah rubbish I wish I wasn't going out kind of thing we met for lunch and we've been together ever since oh <laughs> what a lovely story um, and that's uh like 13 years ago so um 
so that my path was definitely completely changed and I mean really I wouldn't have done most of the things that um that I have done I can't really imagine that I would be a cookbook author because the very first cookbook we did do together um so the reason why we were um an appealing package was because we were a couple and we could travel together and do and do the it was like a a travel cookbook so anyway so that so that's one Um, lovely story (laughs) I guess the other the other one um is less of a chance encounter with me and more with something that I'd made so when I used to work for Soho House Group I was um I was editor of their drinks magazine and their food magazine for about five years and a scout a tv scout picked up a copy of the magazine um the drinks magazine and flicked through it and happened to be looking for a drinks presenter at that time and he got in touch with me and asked if I would come in to do like a showreel kind of thing um and I've done a few bits and pieces like that before and nothing's ever nothing had ever come of it and I was kind of like yeah okay fine and he didn't really tell me what it was for um but I was you know always up for trying something new and went into the studio in um in West London and did all these kind of screen tests and you know but still didn't really know what I was doing met the producer but again just no one really said what it was I knew it was quite a big organization who did and I knew they did quite a few big shows but I just didn't have any sense that that was what was happening um anyway the when in this week where everything changed the Wednesday I got a call saying you're going to be the new drinks presenter on what is now going to be known as Sunday Brunch which is moving from the BBC to Channel 4 um and um you start on Sunday awesome and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) and they said didn't you know that was what you're auditioning for and I, I said no no because it turned out that because the move from the BBC to Channel 4 was quite mired in legal complexity, yeah. uh, there was a lot of confidentiality. So everything was very much on a need-to-know basis. And I think a lot of people thought that I'd been told more than I had, but they didn't think they could do any talking about it because they'd been told it was all confidential. Uh, so amazing. I literally had no idea. Um, and, yeah, I... I guess I, you're, you're glad you went and you gave it a chance and, you know, <laughs> on that day. I'm... More than anything, I'm glad that the talent scout happened to be in Shoreditch House one day <laughs> and picked up this like 32 page, very thin little drinks magazine that I used to do and saw that the editor's name was a female name because they needed a woman because legally they had to change a certain number of aspects of the show in order right. for it to be a new show for Channel 4. And the old drinks expert was a bloke, so they wanted a, a woman to do it this time. And I mean, it, yeah. And it happened. And I guess it changed, and it changed a lot of the, the past of the past, you know, the last few years and what you've yeah, been yeah, working well, on. I, and I did, show, I did the show every week for, um, for four years. Yeah. Yeah, 48 weeks a year for four years, um, which is quite a lot of shows. And, uh, <laughs> and now I do it, yeah, two, like two or three times a year, um, and which is which is really nice because now they've got a whole bank of drinks experts and I can not be the person that has to go in every single Sunday morning so it's a really nice um it's, it's kind of yeah it's reached a really nice point but um yeah that was that was probably the one that's been the most kind of yeah. career-changing random encounter for well sure. that's a very good story I like that um another key question for you and again we have a lots of young people listening to this podcast, if you had to offer one or two pieces of advice to a young person starting their career now, what would you say to them? 
Um, I would say a number of things. I would say be really kind to yourself. Um, I would say try really hard to get to know who you are and what kind of life you'd like to have and that probably means talking to lots of people about their careers and what their lives are like as a result of their career paths um, because it's obviously quite difficult to make those judgments if you haven't worked for a long time yourself um, but I think one of the big messages of solo is that there isn't one set way to do any of this stuff but it all depends on who you actually are and it's very, very easy to accidentally get 10 years down the line and realise that you're living somebody else's life and not the one that you would like to have. Um, so I think I, mean, I didn't do any of that thinking at the beginning of my career at all. And I certainly didn't do any of it when I went freelance. I just worked and worked and worked and worked. Um, really suffering from the belief that earning lots of money was a way to demonstrate success. The other critical bit of advice for young people is to know that what you start off doing almost certainly won't be what you end up doing. Um, and and that you have to do quite a lot of stuff which you will consider boring and beneath you. <laughs> yeah. To sort of earn your stripes. Um, like, I left the London School of Economics where I got my first degree and then I got a master's degree from King's and I thought I was going to, you know, swish into... A really great job and um, that did not happen <laughs> um, like emphatically not uh, I spent a lot of time like alphabetizing the CD collections in, in newspaper offices um, and not being paid for that at all and I you know I so often even when I was working at the Observer I would meet um, people who were doing work experience and they would literally say when am I going to write my first feature? You know, they're in for two weeks and they would be like, and I would be, and I would have been there for five years and I would say, <laughs> when am I going to write my first feature? I've been here, I didn't get to write features. Like I would never say it like that. But, you know, it was, it was, it was quite extraordinary, but I had been exactly the same. You know, universities build you up or colleges or, or wherever you do your kind of initial um, training. They build you up to make you believe that you can do anything. And that's wonderful. But it doesn't serve you well when you get into an office environment and someone's like, right, your responsibility is to make the coffee, fill the photocopier, um, organise the books on the shelves. And, and the only way through that is to just do that stuff gracefully, not be exploited, but accept that, you know, if, you're, if you've got a junior job, some of that is going to come to you. Um, so, so that's probably the advice that I would give. I mean, that's not very kind of pandemic specific advice. Um, I think pandemic-specific advice would be more along the lines of do your bloody best to look after yourself. Mm. Like, don't let your don't let your organisation exploit you in terms of the hours that you work. Switch off your phone. Spend time talking to friends and family, even if you can't see them. You know, all of that stuff. Exercise, sleep, and, and 120 minutes in the countryside. I mean, clearly, I'm picking this up from. <laughs> I mean, you could be in a park. You okay, don't true. You have to be in the countryside. You could be walking along the side of a canal. I mean, it doesn't have to be like not an urban environment because obviously most of us. I mean, I live in South London. It's not the uh, southeast London. Wild. <laughs> I don't live in the countryside, um, but 
you know, I think as we get into winter, as, as this situation becomes more complex and as we get into winter, those are the things that all of us have to do, whether you're at the beginning of your career or in the middle of it. Um, we just have to look after ourselves. And we have to take responsibility for that. We have to say, I'm the only person that can do this. Um, I know, but it's tough. And I think when the more the, the youngest you are in the in any industry, the tough the toughest it is because you've never experienced anything else. But you're right. Um, I think it's a very wise advice, and definitely you you have some really good examples again on on your book. Lastly, Rebecca, mm. what are you most grateful for today? Grateful, like gratitude. Gratitude. Okay. Um, so I do a gratitude practice every night. I, uh, Steve and I tell each other three things that we're grateful for um, every night. So I've been honing my gratitude muscles <laughs> for years now. I think we've been doing it for about five years. Yeah, yeah, five years since, since I was pregnant with my first. Um, so awesome. yeah, um, I can give you I can give you masses. What am I grateful for today? I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have a window next to my desk and I can see trees, which is um, has been shown to be incredibly beneficial yes. for mental health. Um, <laughs> I am I'm grateful that my physiotherapist has got me into a position where I can run again, albeit only one minute on, one minute off. So, <laughs> so start. Slow. But you know, with, with, it's a lot better than where I was, which is um, okay. a few weeks ago. I couldn't really even like move at all. Oh, I'm grateful that my kids are healthy, touch wood. Exactly. Um, I'm grateful that school is open, <laughs> touch wood. <laughs> I mean... This I, one is I, on my I, list as well. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I definitely have my moments and I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, like everything's amazing. But I think that, that doing this gratitude thing does tilt your mindset in the direction of, of gratefulness and, um, I like and it. positivity. And I, I really value that. So... The darkest times during the pandemic, I mean, we were all very sick at the beginning of it um, with COVID, but we don't know because nobody got tested. Um, and during those darkest days, it was an incredibly important practice to have, you know, and sometimes it would be like, I'm grateful we're all alive today. Like, I'm grateful we all got through today kind of thing. Um, so it's yeah, it's very powerful. I recommend it. <laughs> I, I like it. We'll take that as a as a learning for today as well. Thank you so much, Rebecca. A bit of self promo, you know, before before we leave today. Uh, where can we buy your book? Um, so I keep saying this. Somebody said to me the other day, it's available in all good books, it's bookshops, and the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's called it's called Solo: How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind. And yeah, you can get it um, in Waterstones, Amazon, Hive, um, any of those places. And if you go to my website, which is howtoworkalone.com, there are links for how to buy it. There's also more resources for people who work alone. Um, including my selection of um, things you can eat for lunch, which aren't sandwiches. Um, lunch is for one. And uh, a few organisations which support solo workers and um, some stuff about money and how to manage it and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's lots on there. Very useful. Thank you so very much. Thanks again, Rebecca. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Connection Privé, a podcast produced by Clementine Communication PR Agency. This episode was mixed and edited by Chris Osborne. For more insightful interviews about networking and the power of human connection, make sure to subscribe to Connection Privé on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
And if you like what you hear, please leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell a friend about us. I'm your host, Clémence de Crécy, and I hope to see you again soon. À bientôt!